Welcome to Illegal Double Team. We are Jonathan and Christina Stoden, and more than ever, we love professional wrestling. This is our Wednesday Night War edition. That's right. The first battle. We were so fired up with the shots being fired that uh, Christina was like, we've got to do a podcast tonight. Yes, so many thoughts, so many thoughts about professional wrestling. Well, oh, let's just start. Like, what was your overall thought? How, what did you think of it? I thought it was amazing. It was fun. I, I liked, uh, I mean, I loved AEW, of course. I thought they delivered in every single area. And then uh, immediately we kind of, uh, well, after putting the kids to bed, uh, switched it over to NXT, which was on the DVR, and we watched that front to back. And uh, I, I thought both shows were, were really good. Yeah, it, really, really good. Um, I like the energy on the, on the internet too. Like there was just so much energy and like, I don't know if it's because I, I have like, uh, trimmed uh, my timeline a little bit, cultivated, cultivated it more, <laughs> more, more carefully, but it, it uh, definitely was, uh, I, I was fearing like just this deluge of negativity and like this side and that side and like just people. I really didn't see that. I didn't see it at all. It seemed like the general consensus was, wow, this is fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that I saw last night um, there were a lot more people talking about both of these shows who I don't think are generally part of the discourse. And and the general reaction that I saw was, hey, this is great. Two great shows on Wednesday nights. That's fantastic. Yeah, like a normal person. Like a normal person. To having fun entertainment uh, presented to you. And not like the, you know some reaction of like, I have to decide which one I hate with all of my heart and which <laughs> one uh, I, I will like complain about a lot but pretend to like. That's, that, that's a, like a wrestling fan on Twitter. Okay. But yeah, like normal people were into it. As normal as you can get watching wrestling on a Wednesday night. <laughs> two wrestling shows. That's right. Well, yeah, if you watch two, I mean, wow. Um, so I, I was kind of worried, like, just personally, that I would be, like, a little bit down because I, I had gotten an offer to go to the WWE Performance Center uh, on Wednesday and, like, meet with all their executives and Triple H and Stephanie McMahon and a bunch of wrestlers and stuff and then go to the show live, the mm-hmm. NXT show. But it's just... Uh, it's so difficult and it's going to remain difficult to kind of cover these things live if you're like a person who's employed. Right. Right. And has a, a regular job. Like it's Wednesday night. Yes. It's right? midweek. So there's no like. There's, there's no worse time. Yeah. It's really, it's really difficult. And because the shows lay, last late enough that you're going to have to miss. Oh parts, yeah. Well, we've Thursday, talked about right? this with, with AEW. I mean, the, they're coming to Charlotte, they're coming to Nashville if it wasn't the middle of the week, we'd be at all of those shows. Yeah, of course, yeah. If it was on Friday or Saturday, yes, you're there, absolutely. Wednesday, okay, so you're now you've made a commitment. You're basically missing two you have days to miss of work. two days of school, two right. days of work. So yeah, it makes it untenable. But I, So I was kind of a little bit down because I had this cool opportunity presented to me and then didn't get to accept it. But uh, that was just immediately, I immediately forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as soon as the AEW started, and it was so uh, wonderful from the the opening segment with the 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 cool uh, After Effects intro, where it had basically like the rainbow tossed at all the wrestlers and stuff. Like, uh, it, it was great from the very first second. Yeah, you want to move move into our uh, top five for the night, then? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. All right, we'll start with number five. And uh, this was generally um, Cody. Cody is number five. And huh? specifically Cody versus Sammy Guevara. Yes. Um, 
So I took some some flack online for saying that Cody was, you know, trying to describe how super popular he is when you go to one of these AEW live shows, because uh, you know it's never really clear like if it comes off on TV quite like it is in person. So I described it as being like the closest thing you'll find to like Stone Cold in the '90s, right? And a bunch of people who are too young to have even been around That's in the right. '90s, right, are criticizing me uh, for for making that comparison. And yeah, I mean. Obviously, no one is stone cold. That's why I said it was the closest thing, too. Right. But uh, it doesn't hide. You know, you can't really deny the fact that when you are at an AEW show, the crowd is in love with Cody. Yes, they are. I mean, there's just no, you can't, even if you don't like him, you, you can't help but, like, see what's no, happening. That's where their criticism is coming from. You they think? don't like him. They probably don't know him uh, in, in his new, um, you know, iteration here in, in AEW, they remember him as somebody that they didn't really care for in WWE. Um, but yeah, this is, it's not about them looking at what is actually happening and trying to dispute the facts. They merely don't like him. So you're wrong. Right. So anyway, he got that kind of reaction again. I wasn't there, but even on television, you could, oh, you could yes. see it. You can it feel huge. it. The, the energy is so positive, uh, for everything they do. Uh, Brandy came out looking like a, a Grecian goddess. Beautiful. Uh, what an outfit she had on. Just uh, She's been doing the work and she wants you to know. Yeah, she wants you to know. Uh, <laughs> you said that you're, you're kind of the same way. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the more progress I make, the less clothes I wear. That's just how it is. <laughs> and everyone is reaping all of the Of course, it is like 100 degrees here still in October. So, you know, cut me some slack. But yeah, that's true. You, you do have some, some real reasons to be wearing those clothes. That's right. I'm day. not just slutting it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, so anyway, yeah, they came out and it, it, was, it was a great entrance. The The energy was high. It was a good idea, I think, to have one of the leading lights um, come out in the first match. Oh yeah. Set the tone and, uh, you know, and, and get the energy right for the rest of the night. And Oh uh, yeah, they knew what they were doing. For sure. The first person you were going to see was going to be Cody. Yeah. I mean, it either had to be him or Kenny Omega. Those are the two choices. And uh, they save Kenny for later. So uh, it, it was a tremendous match, too. I thought it was, a, you know, it was everything you could have asked for. If you had told them beforehand, like, this is the match you're going to have, they would have been like, great. <laughs> you know, that's what we were going for. Mm-hmm. It was an exciting, an exciting opener. And um, Sammy Guevara looked just strong enough, I think, to maintain credibility going forward. Um, yeah, which... it was very easy, too, to understand that Sammy Guevara is a little shit. So, I mean, you know him. You didn't know him before. Now you know him. Yeah, and so they before the actual match started, they showed one of the kind of like uh, uh, pieces of the the Road Two series in which they they did that kind of style interview for both Cody and uh, Sammy, and I thought it worked well on television. It looked good. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, they they definitely they have to keep using those. Um, you know, hopefully we'll get to see new pieces that we haven't you know already seen on YouTube. Um, as part of the show, but definitely they need to keep doing that. It's a great part of the production. Yeah, so when you look at it like from an overall perspective, so you have the great introduction, you have the great video package, and then you have a great match, all that combines, and then you have a, a really hot uh, after-match action right. with, a, you know, Chris Jericho comes out. That's right. And uh, blindsides uh, Cody, his next opponent. With a little help from... Sammy Guevara. Yeah, so it wasn't clear at first whether that was uh, inadvertent help from Sammy Guevara or whether yeah, it was... Yeah, I pointed that out at the time. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, they had Sammy distract Cody with an offer of a post-match handshake, and I pointed out to you, that's not very Sammy-like. Um, turns out 
what Sammy was doing was very Sammy-like. That's right. And <laughs> we'll find that out later in the show. But so, so to me, it's like if every single part, every element of like uh, what they're presenting for Cody worked that well, he has to be on the list. That this, this is just how they wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll move on to number four. And this was actually my uh, favorite match of the AEW show. And that was uh, Pac versus Hangman Page. Yes. And it's just gotten the to the point. The full gear challenge. Yeah, but it's just gotten to the point, and, and I'm sorry to tell you this, but I'm just going to have to call him Pac because everybody calls him Pac. We've been overwhelmed by it. Yeah. I, I, I can't stand alone. It, I, I, I mean, maybe that maybe that's how you say it. It just reminds me of, like, so the, the famous sports writer Bill Simmons uh, eventually started a podcast. and uh, oh, We used to listen to that all the time. Yeah, so he, but he would always refer to uh, the rapper as Tupac. <laughs> And that's wrong. And so, like, when I hear them say "pack" instead of "pock," <laughs> like, it, it's just a flashback to like, like um, every every like frat, fratty white guy yes. saying "tupac." Like your um, your boss when you were a DJ. Yes, Gene Taylor. Yes, Mean Gene. Mean Gene Taylor, and he would mispronounce like pretty much every hip hop artist's name. <laughs> right, it's just like that. Only so, I mean, maybe he's not. Maybe it's not an homage to Tupac, and so maybe it is "pack." I'll accept it begrudgingly. Maybe I'll just call him the bastard like Tony Schiavone. That's, he seemed to, he and JR got a real kick out of that. Yeah, they really enjoyed the opportunity to use curses. Yeah. Men in their 60s just like, ha, ha, we're going to say bastard. We can do this now. Uh, but yeah, this was, um, this was my favorite match of uh, the AEW show. Um, I thought they both looked really good. Yes. Uh, really, really strong. Um I'm glad to see that that Hangman Page is, uh, you know, on the right course now because we were a little worried about him for a bit. You know, he wasn't moving well. Right. Uh, we thought, you know, he might have been hurt, and maybe he was. Uh, but he looked good in this match. He looked like uh, Hangman Page of old. And um, holy shit, that finisher that Pac does that. What do they call it? A black arrow. Oh, where he does the all the oh this, my the, gosh the revolutions and then yeah. he landed so hard so on Paige's hard. back like I was like man that was like a you usually think of those moves as kind of soft but the way he landed that it was like wow that was rough yeah well I mean he there are he's doing so many rotations and corkscrews like I'm guessing he doesn't have a whole lot of control over exactly how right. he lands yeah. so, so you, you just got to be ready you can see some of the other ones like where, where there's less like uh there's less going into it and the, so the performer has more control over their body right you can see like a lot of people take really uh, maybe oh, we've talked maybe about too it. much care of right but well, we've talked about it where they with... land so heavily on their feet it's just like oh they, they don't even touch the other person right but we've talked about like with ricochets for instance he does so many rotations right. he's just out of control that he's pretty much out of control you're taking right? a shot on that yeah, one yeah everybody Everybody down there knows, like they're they're gonna they're gonna feel that. Um, but then he turned uh, the Black Arrow. I guess is not even currently his finisher. Um, he then you know used went from hitting the Black Arrow into his brutalizer submission. Yes, uh, I think it's what we used to call the Rings of Saturn. Uh, Perry, oh wow! Uh, Perry Saturn used to yes. do that from ECW. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, it's a really cool move, and that this was an, an, a fantastic match. And it, you're right that it is Adam Page. It's like this is the Adam Page yeah. that you and I used to watch in New Japan on the undercard and be like, oh, that guy's going to be really good. Yeah. Th- that you know, everyone saw it. It's not like we're special, but uh, he he looked like that guy again instead of like the guy that was kind of limping around out there. Yeah. And so I was really pleased to see that. 
kind of disappointed for him that he's lost two in a row now, knowing how important that is to the right. to the sports owners of yeah, this league. Yeah, and you know it has to be tough, right? I mean, this is a guy who was you know gifted the opportunity to uh, be in the very first AEW championship match, and you know now he's lost two in a row. He's going to need a bit of a redemption arc. Yeah, I mean, and, but you know, you have to think about too, like the le- the quality of opponent is so high yeah. that it's hard to really judge him too oh, harshly sure. because uh, obviously Chris Jericho is the champion mm-hmm. and a legend of the of the wrestling business, and then this guy Pack has now uh, beaten Kenny Omega and and Paige consecutively and looks like he's a potential title challenger. Yeah, Paige twice actually. Don't forget that. Oh well, that one. <laughs> I don't know if they count the one that was over uh, overseas. So we'll have to we'll have to get some clarification on whether. Uh, wins and losses outside of AEW count in AEW. But uh, yeah, this was a long, a long hard-hitting, action-packed uh, match that was mostly uh, flawless as far as execution. So that's, uh, that's what you're looking for. Yeah, and uh, I was amused uh, by the the ramblings of JR and Tony about using being able to call him the bastard, but also it cracked me up that as uh, Pac was exiting, um, JR... <laughs> suggested that he's quote not just another pretty face which is <laughs> particularly funny when you're talking about Pac because no he's he's uh, not a pretty face <laughs> it's what you, what you would call a hastily put together he's a hastily put together but individual. he's a he's a heck of a pro wrestler oh he is and undefeated with some very impressive wins no doubt all right we'll move on to number three and this was our favorite match from nxt and that was uh, Shayna Baszler versus Candice LeRae for the NXT Women's Championship. So uh, we've watched a lot of NXT, but it's mostly been in a period, and maybe this has been her entire tenure. I'm not sure, but like uh, Candice LeRae has been absent. Yes. So you know we've we've watched women come and go from NXT, and Candice hasn't been a part of it, and so I was not really that familiar with her. I'd, I'd seen a little bit of her in a pro wrestling gorilla. Yeah. And that was pretty and much it. Like I'd seen like you heard tag team with Joey Ryan and stuff. And so I'd seen a little bit like I was uh, enough to know that I thought she was pretty good. It seemed like she was pretty good. Yeah. And she's, yeah. And I mean, in, in PWG, she's kind of badass. So, uh, but I was surprised at how good she's been here because she had a match that we absolutely loved uh, against Io Shirai. Mm-hmm earlier and then this match was so great and uh, it's not like uh, she's being carried to it like she is just excellent throughout oh, this yeah. she's great and uh, she's got the good high flying moves she's got technical moves and she like to she like uh, put some emphasis on it when she <laughs> when she does her strikes like yeah you know she hit basler in the throat one time with a punch and it's just like so she does everything well yes for yeah. someone who looks like she's about to like drop her kids off at the PTA or something, I don't know. Like uh, she, she is. You know, once she starts fighting, though, she's a real. She's the real deal. Yeah. Um, didn't lose any of her extensions this time. No, 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 no. It, I didn't look like she was wearing nearly as many. But um, learned a lesson. Yeah, I love the way I love the way Shayna uh, fights. She's just this, you know, kind of this mean girl. She's just she's gonna put you in all of these horrible submission holds, just tear up your shoulders, your elbows, you know, your ankle, whatever. And that's exactly what she did here. She just attacked uh, Candace's arm over and over and over again. And um, there was even this one spot after uh, throwing Candace really hard into the steel steps. She then bent her Shayna bent Candace's arm back like a chicken wing and stuck it inside the steel steps and then kicked it. Oh, 
It was just brutal looking. Just one of those, really like, terrible. But that's one of those magic tricks where, like, okay, so you know that she didn't actually break her yeah, arm in those I steps. Yeah, but I don't get it. I don't but understand I, yeah, how, how it works. Did, how does it work? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of the ones where they totally fooled me. So, yeah, that, that was particularly uh, brutal looking. And, um, you know, they don't emphasize it nearly as much as they, of course, did with Ronda Rousey because everyone knows Ronda Rousey. But uh, Shayna Baszler's, like, uh, you know, when I when when I was coming up as a young MMA reporter, like she was one of the, the women, like the, the early pioneers of women's fighting. Mm-hmm. So like she has a significant MMA background. They talk about it a little bit, but little you, bit. you know, it's not overwhelming, but uh, you definitely see that influence uh, in her wrestling. Yeah. And it gives her like a very interesting and kind of unique style. Like uh, she does not wrestle like anyone else in no, WWE. No, no, no. But it fits her attitude too. Yeah, really, it's great. Really well. But it's just like, it's not, it's so like they, they seem so focused so often on making everyone wrestle the same way and they kind of adopt the same mannerisms and the same rhythms and the same speed and moves and everyone eventually just looks like the same wrestler. Yeah. And uh, she's been able to avoid that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the reason she stands out. Yeah. And stands out. I mean, she is a strong, dominant champion. I'm very curious to see. I mean, eventually, eventually she's going to have to lose. And I'm really curious to see, like, who they have in mind for her to lose to. Yeah, I mean, I thought this might be it. I really uh, did, too. I think the crowd did as well. They thought it might be time to crown a new champion. But, I mean, Candice gutted it out, and she got to do, you know, tons of her high-flying and stuff, but it just wasn't enough. So the one negative I would have on this, and it happened a couple times during this show, is that they went to not just one but like multiple commercial, multiple breaks, commercial breaks during this match and i guess that's just uh that's gonna happen i suppose well, they, they 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 took that option where they had limited commercial breaks in the first part the, of the show for the cole and riddle match yes, which was also very good also very good but but that meant they had a lot of commercial right, so breaks they, for the back end of yeah, the show yeah they weren't giving anything no, away they, they didn't were give just anything away. they were just adding it on the back end so that's like right. so candace and and shana were the you know, kind of the victims of that and and the fans by proxy. So, well, the NXT show, it was, I thought it was a very solid show that, that was my favorite match. Um, my honorable mention for the NXT show was the, uh, tag match against, uh, the undisputed era versus the street profits. Those guys are so great <laughs> together. They can just keep that feud going a little longer. As far as I'm concerned, I love everything about the street profits and uh, I just love the way that they present themselves and the way they wrestle and their infectious enthusiasm. So it's a it's a really cool act. But then also the undisputed undisputed era is so cool. There was one moment where uh, Kyle O'Reilly dropped for this takedown, and uh, he changed levels so fast, like yeah. it looked like a real fight takedown. Yes, yes. And you don't see that very often. Yes. So it's like, wow, that was pretty cool. Am and, I wrong? I'm, am I right? He has an MMA background as well, doesn't he? Uh, he seems like he must. I think uh, he does. I'll have to look him up. But uh, he de- he. Uh, he pre-ordered the Ken Shamrock book, so he's obviously a hero in my eyes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that looked real. That was like some UWFI stuff, some shoot style wrestling. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's very good. And that's a cool when you mix in that flavor with uh, kind of the Gonzo like '90s high flyer kind of uh, ethos of the Street Profits. Right. Like Street Profits remind me of like an updated like they could have been an ECW tag team where it's just like they just toss everything out there and let's see what happens. Oh yeah, and yeah, it's great because they. Um... They're both, I think, individually quite good, but very different from each other. Um, and yet they've meshed really well as a, as a tag team. So they have some really um, fun, 
I guess, is what you'd have to call it, tandem offense. Like, they're just – they're fun. The The way that they wrestle is just very fun. And that obviously makes sense for their characters, but, you know, I like fun wrestling. And I don't know what's going to happen. Like, you know, this is a bigger question than this podcast can answer. But uh, for so long, like, the big thing with NXT acts is, like – you had to harden your heart a little bit because like yeah. if you fell in love with them, you knew eventually they were going to get called up to raw or SmackDown. And then the, the wrestler that you had fallen in love with was going to go away and replaced by some well, apparently lesser now, version. If you wait long enough, they'll come back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and now, but so now that seems like less, less of a threat because they have like NXT is its own thing. Mm-hmm. And so maybe some of them might go back and forth, but it seems like, you know, I don't have to worry like, oh, the Street Profits are going to go and then disappear onto Raw, and we might see them occasionally on right. the pre-show of a pay-per-view. Like, uh, maybe they can just stay here for a while. Uh, I don't, I, I'm not sure how it'll work. Right. It makes me a little nervous that they've been using them so much um, in those uh, humorous segments on the on Raw and SmackDown. Um, it, you know, it feels like they're trying to introduce them to yeah, those audiences. That, that was my concern. And, yeah. And but, but so it, it is kind of like a double-edged sword with them then because uh, that at least indicates that there's interest and people there recognize their talent. Right. And so the, if they do, if they didn't get transferred over to Raw or SmackDown, uh, the people there are familiar with them. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the people who run it. Right. And, and like them, obviously. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a big advantage as opposed to like where, oh, they called up some guy and you know, Vince has seen him for the first time and right. he's like, Oh, they should be clowns now or whatever. I don't, yeah, who knows? I, I don't pay that much attention. Vikings. Yes. <laughs> they should totally change their name and gimmick. But, um, yeah, that, that was good. I like that match too. All right. And, uh, number two, uh, not, not a match, kind of a feeling, a, a concept, um, a concept. Yeah. Um, I, I expressed trepidation going in uh, to the AEW oh, we were show. Scared. That's yeah. right. Because we've been to all of the shows live and, and they're such a great atmosphere and we've had some really wonderful seats and I was just really afraid that it wasn't going to feel the same on television. I knew it wouldn't feel exactly the same, but I am so happy to report that, um, that that feeling, the bubbling excitement and, and just the sort of the energy that you get from the roar of the crowd and, and, and getting to see all this uh, great wrestling and these wrestlers that you love, like it was still there in my living room. Like, I was worried that maybe I wouldn't like their production and it wouldn't look as good on television. Nope. I thought their production was great. I loved uh, the bright lights. I loved how well you could see everything. I liked their camera work. Um, that turnbuckle camera is such a cool idea. I was really worried about the announcers because, you know, we, you and I have expressed, you know, we don't really care much for commentary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just generally, not personally. Just generally. We're anymore. not, yeah, we're not calling any particular person out, but just generally we don't really care for wrestling commentary. And so I was very worried that it would uh, detract, in my eyes, uh, from a product that I love. And and I have to say, it did not at all. Yeah, it was really good. And it was, uh, so we had seen it live, but I'd gone back and watched a few things on tape just to like kind of remind myself about the matches and how they went down for various things I was writing. So I had heard the previous announcers, not the entire show, but pieces of it, enough to be worried about it. But the addition of Tony Schiavone to this team and the subtraction of some others um, really, uh, really improved things. And it yes. was, it was really good to have Tony there yes. because uh, you know, 
just from my outsider perspective, it appeared like it took a lot of the pressure off of Jim Ross because the play-by-play announcer has so many responsibilities. You have to read ad copy. You have to worry about the time. You have to kind of direct the broadcast. And it's a lot. It's a lot going on. And so Tony being there to pick up part of that responsibility allowed Jim to just kind of concentrate on making an occasional cogent point. And he did that well. And they, and they had some humorous back and forths. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Excalibur is just overall really excellent. And so I, I thought they they all worked really well together. And for their, being their first time, uh, it was really pleasant. It, it, there weren't, there weren't um, a lot of like things that felt fake. Yeah. Like their interactions seemed like just the, these were these guys watching wrestling. And much, you know, it's the opposite of NXT in which everything is so performative that like there's, there's nothing legitimate or real at all. It's just one guy screaming and then, you know, the other two people occasionally trying to say something in between uh, when he's going to yell again. Right. And so. Yeah, I mean, I, I do tend to spend um, some time when I'm watching uh, some of the other products like. Yeah, I, I look at you and I roll my eyes and we turn down the volume right. and all this. And I have to say, I think there was maybe only like one time, really, that I looked at you and yeah, like they're, rolled my they're eyes. Gonna, they're going to ask us about it on a question, <laughs> so we don't have to talk about it, but uh, we'll talk about it later. Okay. Um, but yeah, just generally overall, I was just, I was so pleased that all my fears were put to rest. So what it, what it really means is that they did a great job of capturing what yes. it feels like to be there. Which I thought would be really difficult, yeah, it should, honestly. Because I mean, it, it is such a unique feeling of positivity when you're at an AEW show. Uh, you are there with five or 10 or 15,000 people who, who are in love with something just as much as you are. And like it's like everyone is rooting for the success of the performers. And so that makes it different than a lot of other wrestling shows. And so it's like it's such a, an incredible experience that it does seem like something that would get lost on TV. But at least for this one night, and, and we'll see going forward, but it, it, it did feel like they did a good job of um, making it clear like what, what it was. And, and maybe it helped that we had each other there to, to kind of give our own living room version of that feeling. <laughs> I'm not sure. Like maybe we were uh, giving each other positive energy. I'm not sure. That's not a euphemism. <laughs> we'll move on to number one. Okay. And this was my favorite moment of the whole night. And whatever. You can roll your eyes at me. Or... <laughs> I, am I rolling my eyes? <laughs> but my favorite moment of the whole night. Everyone knows. Was, Mox- was Kenny, right? Mo- yeah. <laughs> was Shot. Moxley's run-in uh, attacking Kenny. Um, wrestling, fighting, brawling to the back, and then Moxley delivering his god-awful Death Rider to Kenny through a glass table. Yeah, it was brutal. Uh, the, the, the whole thing was was really well performed, I thought. And it started with actually Kenny coming out to rescue Riho. Uh, she had won the women's championship, and uh, Nyla Rose was beating her up, and had beaten up Michael Nakazawa, and uh, so. And I'm in the. I'm sitting there, like jumping up and down. Kenny, you gotta come out. And so Kenny came out and put a stop to it. And so, you know, it's one of these things is the that that works so well. It worked well in New Japan for like there are moments that were happening in New Japan with the Golden Lovers and stuff that meant a lot to the hardcore fans. Mm-hmm. That were like on their face cool enough for like casual fans too. Oh sure. Like the, on the surface, it's really cool. And on the surface, like Kenny Omega is a baby face. He yeah. came out and, and helped another baby face. Mm-hmm. That's fine. It works fine on its own. But then for the people who know more, they know that that 
the two of them had been tag team partners even just recently. History, and yeah. He had wrestled her when she was literally a little a little girl, and it's like uh, so. Yeah, they they have a long. She's not the little girl. Let's just be clear about right, that. right. Well, she was a little girl but that he wrestled with. She was a that. little girl. Yeah, um, that's kind of the culture there. Is starting very very young in the training process, so that's not as unusual as it is made out to be. Um, it's unusual maybe to do it with a giant male wrestling star. <laughs> but um, so anyway, yeah, so they have this history together that the hardcore fans know, appreciate it on a different level, but it also makes sense. It's just like uh, somebody had to come out and put a stop to this, and he's one of the, the main good guys. So it worked on all, all levels. So that's how we saw Kenny. And then he came back out with the Young Bucks, uh, and they started having a, a pretty good six-man tag. All right, let me, let me ask you this. Sure. So – you get Kenny running in to stop Nyla Rose from the beatdown on his, you know, somewhat frequent tag team partner, Riho. He was not afraid to stand up and lay hands on Nyla Rose, push her out of the way, protect Rio. Then Nyla Rose on social media addresses both Riho and Kenny, uh, basically saying, like, well, you know, I'm done for now, but, you know, I'll, I'll get mine back. Do you think that they're moving towards having us see some mixed tags? I don't know. It's very interesting because there definitely seems to be a, a movement in that direction on the independent scene. And, of course, in the promotions that Kenny has come from in Japan, it's like part of the, it's It's just a thing that happens. And so um, I'm sure he'd be for it and the performers would be for it. Now, I, I don't. You know, contrary to some internet belief, I don't know Tony Khan. I've right. never talked to him, but having like uh, seen some of his interviews, you can tell like if you just know how to read people that he's not personally entirely in favor of it. Well, when he's I mean, been there... asked about, it, he's never given it a hard no. Right. But he's he's sort of given it a like maybe that's something we'll do, not on Turner Television. Right, and you can introduce uh, like a mixed tag in the sense that. Women, the women fight each other, the men fight each other. Right, like WWE does. Like WWE does. But those are always, you know. Yeah, I don't like them as much. (laughs) It doesn't. I mean, if you're going to do it, you should do it. Yes. But um, I mean, I totally agree. But if you have to ease the audience into it, that's one way you could do it. I think it would probably be smarter for them as a company not to go that direction right now. That's just how I feel about it. Even though I've become a convert to the matches, like I, I, I can accept them and enjoy them, and I think they're great. Uh, I, I think it's maybe a bridge too far. When, too different. Yeah, you're so you're trying to introduce a new thing already. You don't want to do anything that's going to make people think like, do I want to be a part of this? You know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to force people to draw hard lines uh, that early in in their uh, new fandom. So um, my advice would be not to do it. Uh, my personal feeling would be if they do do it, though, I, I'm going to watch the heck out of it. Okay. All right. And uh, while we're still on this, um, wanted to get some thoughts about the direction that they're taking um, Kenny in. And this has obviously been, you know, all over their YouTube shows and, uh, you know, lots of discussion on it on the Internet. Right. Um, my, you know, my belief is that, you know, from now until the next pay-per-view, full gear, I think we can probably expect a lot more of the same. Um, attacks, beatdowns. Um, my guess is probably not a lot of success in the ring. 
I feel like, you know, that's the, the way that they're, they're moving, um, before we have this confrontation with Moxley at full gear, I suspect he'll probably also take some abuse from Jericho and Jericho's, uh, new team. Um, and that leads me to the calls online for Kenny to bring back the cleaner. So the cleaner is the persona that, uh, Kenny adopted when, uh, he joined the Bullet Club in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and uh, you know his his kind of his whole deal then was that he would do anything to win, but and and the creation of that character was in some ways so people see this as being like oh this is just like when he became the cleaner yeah but in some ways it is but also in a big way it it isn't at least in the way that some folks seem to think well yeah so basically I had a word of warning for for Kenny's fans and. And for the Young Bucks, since we saw them asking for the cleaner on uh, the last uh, Being the Elite. And um, I, you know, I totally understand that after a rough patch, which I believe Kenny is going through and will continue to go through for a little while, um, you know, you're, you are going to want him to find success. You're going to want him you know, to find redemption and even revenge. Um, I just, I have to warn people that while the cleaner was born uh, out of failures and out of fear and out of a sense of self-preservation, I think that it's important to remember that the cleaner didn't rise up and get a group of friends and go handle business. He actually joined his tormentors. That's right. And, and it's, I, can, I can understand why the Young Bucks might forget that little detail because, because they, they were the, were the tormentors right. at the time. But the truth is, is that the cleaner isn't anybody's friend and he is not a hero. Right. It's a self-preservation mechanism, right, that Kenny Omega created to, to protect himself from, you know, bad things that were happening. He's like, I'm going to go into this shell, this character of the cleaner, and uh, maybe I will find success and happiness there. So he had to become someone that he wasn't. But yeah, you're right. Like it's that. So in this case, it's like it's not like he's going to hang out with his buddies and go fight the bad guys. If he does it like he did with the cleaner, he's going to join Moxley or Jericho or someone. You know, he joins. It's a weakness, right? The cleaner is actually weakness, and and it's you know. So instead of actually standing up for himself and fighting off bullies, uh, he creates the cleaner so he can just take the easy path and join them, you know? And uh, so that would be interesting because I don't know that a lot of people have articulated that way. So, uh, you know, they just see it as like, oh, he's the cleaner, he's cool, he's with the cool guys in the well, bullet club. I'm just putting it out there because um, I, I think through some of the other stories that we've seen Kenny be a part of, um, he, you know, he seems to have a sense of history. Right. And, He's not going to forget the origins of the cleaner. And, uh, and yeah, and like I said, I think it would be almost forgivable that, you, that the Young Bucks might not quite understand, um, you know, the, the origins of that character. So, like I said, just, just a word of warning, um, you know, don't be surprised if it, if it doesn't turn out the way you think it's going to. So one more thing before we go away from this. Uh, as cool as the DDT through the glass table was, or scary in your in your view. Terrible. Awful. Uh, the, what I thought was really cool, the coolest part was uh, when Moxley had snuck into the ring behind Kenny and there's a two shot where you see <laughs> Kenny's face and you see Moxley like doing like a Bugs Bunny sneaking up behind him kind of deal. Yeah. Uh, or maybe that's Elmer Fudd. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> but Kenny, Kenny gets this like look on his face like, 
he knows something's happening. Yeah, well, the crowd. Yes. The, the crowd changes, you know, and the, all the, the crowd noise goes, because he's gearing up. Right. He's get, he, We think he's going to do his uh, his big suicide dive. And he starts to, yeah, and, and by the way, AEW has a history now of uh, stopping Kenny in mid-tope, <laughs> so we don't get to see his most graceful, beautiful it's move. It's like they know what we want to <laughs> right. see. Right, it's the ultimate heel spot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's like, you know, he's, he senses something is different, and... Uh, it's just enough. Like there's an inclination for Kenny Omega to play it way too big. And, and he played it pretty big. But for him, that was subtle. Yeah, that was subtle yeah, for yeah. Kenny. And so I thought it was perfect. It was the perfect amount. And that was a great a great shot that people will remember of Moxley behind him being sneaky and Kenny realizing, oh crap, <laughs> I don't know what's happening, but it's not going to be good. Not going to be good. So yeah, that was, that was a great moment. Uh, just one of many though on that great show. All right, and uh, so that was our top five. I think we have a bunch of questions. Yes, we have so many questions. I wrote them down, and now I can't read them, but I will do my best. You ready? Sure. All right, so Matt Malapai says uh, he wanted to know what was the most unexpected thing that happened on the AEW show. He brought up uh, Jake Hager coming out, and not just that he came out, but that people were, were, they were chanting, We the People which is a catchphrase from his WWE days. Yes, back and when I he was, was chastising like, them. Don't cheer for him. Right, for many reasons, one of which that was kind of a white nationalist character. So like, uh, it, it seems much less funny uh, now <laughs> in, in the era of Trump. Um, so b- beyond that, yeah, that was a pretty big big surprise. What, what, what was it for you? Anything? Um, I, I mean, I honestly, I think it was doing the Death Rider through a glass table. I really did not expect to see or that just, on television. Just the level of violence? Yes. Or? Yeah, the level of violence. I, I was surprising to me. I mean, you know I like it, but I was still surprised. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's weird because I, I didn't know the exact surprises that were going to happen, but obviously you knew that both groups were going to try to do something different. And and we, we had actually kind of nailed the WWE surprise in, in a sense in that, uh, an established star from the roster was going to come down right. and join NXT. We we, we kind of got the sense that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. It didn't end up being either of the guys we thought, but it's a, a like character in Finn Balor. Um, so um, I, I think that was the biggest surprise. I thought I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know. I felt I guess I was um, I don't know bringing Finn Balor back. I think felt different to me than Cesaro or Kevin Owens because to me, Cesaro, Kevin Owens going back down felt, um, (laughs) felt more like it was something that they would be in on. You know, I want to do this. So I'm going to do this. Bringing Finn Balor back to NXT felt a little bit like saying, sorry, you were a bit of a failure up there and now you're back on NXT. So, you know, I don't know. I had mixed feelings about that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how, how they how they picture it. Like you know, and are, is it better to be a top guy on the slightly smaller brand or a middle guy on the big show? Well, it's different now that they have television. So I right. don't, Which I is don't when really know. Yeah, I yeah. don't really know how how they're gonna look at it or how other people look at it yet. Right, but for for at least for me, that was the the kind of the most exciting surprise of of the evening. Um, so Rich Bernal has two questions. Okay. I'll take the, the wrestling one first or the podcast one. He wants to know if we've talked about doing interviews on this podcast. You've talked about it. So, yeah, interviews. it's a bit of a sore spot, I think, right? Like, So you have zero interest in talking or interacting with the wrestlers in any form. Um, 
eh, I mean, maybe not zero interest, but pretty low interest. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, honestly, like you, you're running the show. Yeah, well, we just, right now we don't do, we don't have to do a lot of planning. We don't have to do a lot of editing. Um, you know, we just decide we have something to say tonight. We, you know, bring out the microphones. Uh, you edit it at work. I'm, that's what you do for a living, so it's pretty easy for you. And, and you know, we have it out in a matter of hours. Um, if we started doing interviews, it would take a lot more planning. Yeah, the logistics of it would be difficult. That would be the hardest part, even if you wanted to do it. I mean, I am super, super lazy. So I <laughs> there's just like, yeah. I basically want to run, do some push-ups, and watch a lot of wrestling, and, and that's it. So I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. So she just confessed the, oh, the real I reason. Oh, I say it all the time. I think anybody who follows my Twitter or even here on the podcast, I'll just admit it. Yeah, so we might potentially, if we if we did do interviews, have like a, a popular podcast. I don't know, because, you know, for Bleacher Report, I'm I'm doing a ton of interviews with big wrestling stars, you know, Cody Rhodes and, well, that was in person, but like, you know, the Young Bucks and Dustin Rhodes and Kofi Kingston and like, you know, pretty big, I think, significant interviews. Uh, so I, I don't see a lot of podcasts doing that. Um, besides like the, you know, the, the biggest ones, mm-hmm. but we're just not going to, cause you don't want to. No, that feels like work. Yeah. And there's <laughs> just like, you know, we, we like doing this cause it's fun. I enjoy talking with you about it. Um, the minute you start trying to schedule interviews and there's pressure to do interviews and what if you don't get it or the, the person doesn't yeah. call when they're supposed to. And you, you know, it's a potentially a big disaster. And I do that for work. Uh, I go through that at at Bleach Report because they pay me money to right um, exactly you know yeah as long as we're doing this for free like I don't want to do anything on, that's not fun so right I'm glad we agree okay so we agree all right so you also had another question because uh, we brought up uh, Harry Potter uh, partly because uh, <laughs> oh, yeah Cody Rhodes was talking about it and then some of the people in his entourage weren't familiar with Harry Potter and somehow like I decided to spend some of my precious interview time uh, discussing Harry Potter. Uh, I, with these guys. I, mean, I felt like it was time well spent. I feel I feel like now if you tell me that there are wrestlers that would like to talk about Harry Potter. Yes, it's totally. Well, then I'm much more interested in doing interviews. Yeah, we're, we're in the interview game if we can make that happen. But um, <laughs> So Rich Bernal wanted to know, uh, it's a two-part question, uh, because he's savvy enough to know that your favorite Harry Potter book may not be your favorite Harry Potter movie. Oh, and so yeah. he wants to know for each of us which is our favorite book and which is our favorite movie. So I'll let you go first. All right. Uh, well, my favorite book um, is actually Order of the Phoenix. And that was not true the first time we read them through. The first time we read them through, I thought there was too much like teen angst in that book. And I'm oh. not I'm not good with teen angst. I'm you not were good so, with any kind yeah, of You angst. were so upset by that book. Like, it just like, oh, I can't believe all this high school drama. Yeah, well, but it's, teen- a, it's a book about high school kids. Yeah, but, well, the, but the 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 attitude and the angstiness. But that's like, what people are like. And... But the, I, you know, I don't actually, um, I can't relate to that at all. Like my teenage years were amazing. Yeah. It's very difficult for Christina to relate to people having problems. Cause like she was pretty and a great athlete and the top <laughs> student in school. And like, you know, uh, so she didn't have any problems that normal people have. So like, she doesn't <laughs> relate te- to us the, at all. The teenagers are always like, Oh, my parents, and there's so much stress, and, I, and I'm just like, whatever, teenage years, that's like fun, sports, sex, that's it. Like, what is not to like about that? And you don't have to have a job, you don't have to make money, you're not responsible for anything. 
they'll give you accolades for like the stupidest stuff. Like <laughs> what is, how, what can possibly be wrong with your lives? But you know, I was like, what did people used to say? Like thir- 11 going on 30 or whatever. So I, yeah, I just, I don't, I never really got teen angst. I didn't understand. I don't understand it. I still don't understand it. But on a reread of Order of the Phoenix, um, I began to see like the bigger themes and just the fact that that book is just jam packed with a lot of great stuff. And, um, so yeah, so that's my favorite book. I thought there was like, I I love like the level of realism in it in that like, even though the the world was ending and they knew that like, there was like literally the personification of evil was out there. And uh, meanwhile, they're just like scheming like how am I gonna bone my best friend's sister like that like that's like what's happening in these books and they're just like screw the teachers man I'm not even gonna tell them that like this the most evil wizard of all time is hassling me because man I don't like those old farts like you know there's some realism there so um I I, I, did, I enjoyed that about that book it's not my favorite my favorite Harry Potter book was the Prisoner of Azkaban like I, I thought that one was just tremendous and it it was um it really set the tone going forward because uh, the Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone was was really well done. But then Chamber of Secret, Secrets, I think most everyone agrees, was the worst Harry Potter book. And so then that was. The I same. like I like Chamber of Secrets up until the end. I thought the ending was like very lazy. Right. I I didn't I didn't but care for that. It goes much darker with Azkaban, yes. and then it you know it sets the tone for everything that follows, and it reestablishes like okay, we're in good hands here. So I, I I thought that was my my favorite book. And what was your favorite movie? Uh, my favorite movie was actually Order of the Phoenix. Ah. So I thought that was tremendously well done. It was uh, directed by uh, David Yates, is the guy's name, and like the whole thing, just like the the themes of like the the corruption and and power and like were were so well um, presented mm-hmm. that I, I thought it was a really strong movie. And then uh, the the lady that played Dolores Umbridge was fantastic. Um, and then uh, the ending sequences where um, they're they're fighting in the the Hall of Secrets, mm-hmm. uh, the the Death Eaters against uh, Dumbledore's army, and then um, Voldemort shows up and he's fighting Dumbledore. Like these are well, I mean these are beautiful scenes. And then uh, the the moment that really sticks with me um, is. Uh, Bellatrix. Is, is Bellatrix so strange and Helena Hella Bonham Carter's actress and her her cackling I killed Sirius Black um, who was Harry's godfather is such a powerful moment and yet like she is had the, the such a the, the dichotomy of his like angst and his like yes. just his heartbrokenness and her like just like dismissing it like it's a joke yeah uh, that, and that's a relative of hers for right. god's sakes uh, so yeah that was like those things uh, whew, juxtaposed like that like uh, i don't know i thought it was a really good movie yeah um my 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 favorite movie actually was the next one half blood prince um which that's my second favorite book and um yeah, I, I like I think it's the same director. Um, yes, I think he did two of them. But yeah. uh yeah, I just I like that movie um one because uh it was like the I think it was the first Harry Potter movie where I didn't think of the actors as like kid actors anymore. Right. Like I just like they were good enough that I that I just saw their performances as like regular performances. Like it was there was a big step up I felt like between Order of the Phoenix and, and Half-Blood Prince, which helped me enjoy 
um, the movie more. Yeah, it was. A, it, and like I said, it's my second favorite book, so it's a good story. In I thought itself. they did. They did fairly well. Like the actors that they chose as as literal children ended up being pretty good adult actors. Yeah, especially it was pretty rough in in some of the early movies. Yeah, you that, didn't know where it was going to go, and you never know how a kid actor. But Half Blood Prince Two is like my Empire Strikes Back of the Harry Potter movies. I oh, mean, I mean, it's oh just my, the ending is so the brutal. The ending is just like, oh my god, like this is just terrible, and you don't know where it's going, and it doesn't. It just feels so bleak. And um, I kind of like that. Like, yeah, it, it's a very dark film. And um, I mean, the whole story is, is fairly dark until the end. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's Harry Potter. We we, ta- we we were big into Harry Potter. I was the community, just to, to give it some context for people who don't religiously follow us on Twitter. So I was the community relations manager at a Borders bookstore, and then we had worked at every bookstore that ever existed and so like i created like a board game for the kids that did like a harry potter reading group and we did like the these books were big enough that there were midnight launch parties for every one of them oh yeah like so the minute they were you you were able to sell it was i want to say did we start working on midnight launch parties with the second one or the third one we personally did the third one the third one okay yeah, I mean, we weren't working in bookstores when the first two came out, but by the time the third one came out, we were working, um, I think, Books a Million at that time, and you were at Barnes & Noble, and then eventually we were at Borders for a different release party, and uh, so we, you know, we did decorations, and we dressed up, and like you said, you made, like, a board game, and one of the times we did, like, a Christmas tree, even though it wasn't Christmas, it was just, like, a giant Harry Potter tree. Right, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> So yeah, we had we had had the authority to to kind of uh, take control of these things and like had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. So it, it was cool. Um, we're not like uh, bolstering our cool guy image here, are we? Oh wait, cool. <laughs> I've literally never called myself cool. Ne- never been cool. Self aware. Okay, good. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's our Harry Potter. We could talk if you guys want to ask us Harry Potter questions. Okay, every you did podcast. make some sort of a joke on Twitter about Dungeons and Dragons, and I have to say I've never played that. Oh really? No, I haven't. I mean, I think I would have. Like, it probably would have appealed to me. If I wasn't spending every waking moment in high school either playing sports or having sex. <laughs> <laughs> Too cool for us. I got you. All right. You were involved in at least part of that. Sure, but before that, uh, the Dungeons and Dragons, at least as I played it, um, growing up through like middle school and early high school, uh, there were no girls. <laughs> Not by our choice. No girls, huh? Uh, no, it was uh, very dude heavy. Oh. So, I should have done that. Then. <laughs> not, would not have been of interest to you, uh, the dudes in the attendance. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> all right, so we have way digressed. Um, so the next question comes from our friend Pidgey, uh, the great artist, and uh, she wants to know uh, which of the really new young wrestlers we're most excited about right now, accepting MJF, who is everyone's choice. Oh, obviously, yes, he's amazing. That what 22 or whatever he is it's ridiculous um i picked um dragonoff Ilya dragonoff he um is in nxt uk he performs in germany um in the independent promotions right and he almost won the goblet of fire right i yes i referred to him as draco malfoy he looks like draco malfoy he's russian he looks russian um i have seen at least 
I've seen him against Walter. I've seen him against Pete Dunne. I've seen him against Cesaro. I've seen him wrestle with Walter. Um, I, he's really amazing. And he's like 24 or 25 maybe. And he's still wrestling in against fantastic wrestlers in on um, the German indie scene, in the British indie scene. And now he's getting some of that WWE polish. Uh, with uh, NXT UK, I just don't see how he isn't going to be tremendous for a long time to come. So this one is uh, seems kind of obvious, I guess, maybe. Maybe it's not what she had in mind, but uh, Velveteen Dream. Yeah, you told me he's like 24 He's or 24 That's years old. That's amazing. So, uh, yeah, he's already said he is so enormously talented and uh, has the look, has the attitude, has the the talk. Uh, is working it out in the ring, and when that all comes together, I I think he's going to be a can't miss wrestler. So, um, I love that he made you blush on that NXT. Like oh you le- legitimately blushed in the living room. Oh, his all his double entendre. He is amazing on the microphone. I don't know what other people think of that, but I love it. What What did he say? Oh, he said that he he you know he he's not one to complain about taking on two men at once. <laughs> You got red Taylor saying it here too. I, knew I you were love going to. it. I love it. So the, yeah, the, those are our favorites, and there are so many. Um, but I, I think that those are can't miss prospects. So uh, keep an eye on them if you ha- if you're not. Um, Dakota Dellenbach wants to know our top three dream cross promotional matches of all time. All time, eh? Go ahead. All right, so the the first one for me is a weird one, maybe, but uh, I I would really love to see like a feud between the early '80s, late '70s era Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, the one who cut all those great promos in the '70s at Madison Square Garden up against superstar Billy Graham. Uh, it wasn't quite as immobile as he was in the mid '80s. He was still moving around. He had the blonde perm. Um, that Dusty Rhodes. Okay. Uh, against the Rock. Uh, the early 2000s version of The Rock where he was like the Hollywood Rock. And he was real, uh, he was a heel and he was real cocky and arrogant. He would play the guitar and um, it was Rock at like his peak, I think. Okay. Uh, not the SmackDown Rock, you know, Smell What the Rock is Cooking Rock, but the next iteration of The Rock. Uh, I, I always love that one. And I think that those two guys are both, um, not only would the promos be great, mm-hmm. but then like their their style in the ring is is kind of like I think it would they would do well together because they're both so dramatic. You know how The Rock would like swing his arm back like yeah. so crazily when he would throw his punches and everything he sold was just like, you know, about eight times too much. Yeah, you know, it's he would so sell, weird. Like, I can stutter. close my eyes and see those Rock punches because right. they're just so weird. I mean, they're the worst punches ever, but also the greatest because they never come like within like six inches or six feet of no, the other person like, and it's like the and they're open hand yeah the physicality of it is like no one else does it like no, that so he like puts i his said whole body i can just i can it. imagine it but so then dusty Rhodes also did something like he threw his elbows with the same kind of energy and dusty Rhodes like had like a shimmy like a little wiggle yeah. in his hips a sachet i oh, put sure. it in my article yeah. so like uh I think the two of them together would just be so hilarious with both of them just like over emoting and like moving around like crazy and like doing these crazy bumps and what Rock would do, maybe, yeah. uh, Rock trying to sell like Dusty's elbow, like he would do it so crazy. Oh, right. Like, I don't know. I would just love it. So that, that's mine. All right. 
I actually, I actually picked one that you could do right now. I'd be fine with it right now. Oh, so book it. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to see Kenny against Brock so bad. Oh man. <laughs> like Brock just throws everybody around. Like I mean, it doesn't really matter who you are. It's everybody. But like Kenny gets thrown around so well. But then at the same time, like he is. He's strong enough, he's manic enough, he's creative enough, he's quick enough. Like you, I think you could, um, like he could compete and you could actually buy it. So you'd get the best of both, you know. <laughs> you'd get, you know, you get to see Kenny be Kenny, um, you know, when he was able to put together some offense against Brock and then you'd also get to see Brock throw around Kenny, which I think would be amazing. And uh, so, yeah, like I would book that right now if I could. I would love to see that. And I mean you you keep pointing out that, you know, AEW, you know, needs big guys. They need big guys like that because the little guys work, you know, so well with them. Um, but yeah, I would love to see Brock against Kenny. I would have loved to I would have loved to have seen like late nineties Shawn Michaels against you can pick right now Brock Lesnar, really any like any Brock Lesnar. <laughs> like, I think it, it would be pretty funny, like uh, if you had that that Shawn Michaels with that Shawn Michaels personality, uh, and he treated tried to treat uh, Brock Lesnar the way he did like right, other people. Exactly. Like that dude, that'd be a murder in the ring. Mm -hmm. It'd be fun. Yeah, it would be a lot of fun. I mean, for us, not for Shawn Michaels. Right, but he is another one of those wrestlers that like gets murdered really well. Right. Like <laughs> Absolutely. And so um, one more, I think uh, this one for me will be in the world of shoot style wrestling, which is one of my favorites from the the early to mid 90s. Uh, Minoru Suzuki, who most people listening probably would know from New Japan Pro mm -hmm. Wrestling, was a great shoot style wrestler, both in uh, the, the UWF and Pro Wrestling Fujiwara Gumi and Pancras. And, uh, Fine as hell too, look it up. Yeah, young Suzuki. <laughs> yeah, super handsome. And uh, But there's... There were multiple promotions for shoot-style wrestling, and some of them never intermixed. So one of the great foreign uh, shoot-style wrestlers, non-Japanese, was named Volkan. Oh, yeah. And, and he was a wrestler in rings. And so he he was separated from Suzuki and, and all those guys. Never like, happened, huh? So they never had that match. Wow. So you never had that match. You never had Volkan versus Takata against Funaki, Ken Shamrock. Like, there was no intermingling. Wow, okay. And so, um, but I just thought Suzuki in particular because... Um, Hans Volkan's thing is like he was like uh, kind of like a, a more realistic Zack Sabre Jr. in mm -hmm. a sense. Uh, you know, he he did everything so fluidly and fast, and he had all these crazy submissions. Only they were real ones because uh, he was a legitimate uh, martial artist um, who even in, like in his late forties and fifties would won won some MMA fights when rings went to MMA. So uh, he was kind of like a, a Zack Sabre Jr. in that world. And uh, Suzuki was also super fast, like a legitimate uh, Olympic alternate amateur wrestler in uh, his matches with like Funaki, uh, uh, not Funaki, but with uh, Ken Shamrock in particular, I remember. Um, he really showed his speed and athleticism as a young Suzuki. So like, anyway, that would have been a fantastic match that we were cheated out of because of politics mm. and because the, the guys from the UWF, when they, they had a famous meeting at, at uh, Akira Maeda's house and then... Uh, suddenly one promotion was three or four promotions and 
Um, most of them never interacted again, like on a professional level. So did not um, go well. Huh? Yeah, I guess that was not a good meeting. <laughs> so uh, we never saw that match and many others, but that would have been a good one. All right. Uh, so there's a bunch more questions. I don't know how many questions you want to do. Uh, we'll go ahead. All right. So Eric Gutierrez says, uh, who do you predict will take the title from Jericho? Assuming, of course, that Jericho doesn't just die with that title. 80-year-old Jericho defending And you mean, like, not a waiter at the Longhorn? <laughs> right. Assuming he doesn't leave it in the limousine. Okay. Um, An actual pro wrestler. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom. I've heard that rumor. I, Tanahashi's already been British heavyweight champ. He could be AEW champion. That's probably not going to happen. Probably not. That would maybe not be the ideal way to book the new championship, but maybe... I'd love to see Tanahashi Tom, awesome. come back here and do tours as like the AEW champion. That would be awesome. Um, probably it won't be Tanahashi. Um, so we've talked about this before. So early on, of course, I think when they first formed AEW, I'm sure the, the thought was it would be Kenny Omega. Bell to Bell, best wrestler in the world. Everybody loved him. He was the big star from New Japan. Um, I think that was probably what they had in mind. Maybe. But... Um, in the shows that they've done, I think that now he has a contender because I think Cody Rhodes has established himself as uh, a, a good alternate choice. Uh, he's committed. He does the best interviews in the company. He makes all of his matches feel really important. And he's delivering in the, in the ring, in, at least in my opinion, in a way he never has before. It, so uh, he's been consistently really good where before that he had just been consistently good. And so that's different. To me, that's a pretty big distinction. So uh, I could see Cody. I don't think it'll be in November, but... Um, Later. I think eventually Cody will be the one that beats Jericho. Interesting. How long do you think they'll give him with the belt? I don't know. I hope it's several months. Like yeah, enough. Like, too. I think it looks bad. Like It, it makes it feel less important if it's, it's handed, swapped around a bunch early. Uh, and Jericho's the big star that people know like let, right. it, let him he's be the put champ. together this faction now and i would like i would like to see him hold on to the belt um at least until you start to see cracks develop in his alliances like that's kind of like I, how i would like to see it play out like right now make him really strong make him a really strong champion make him a strong leader of this uh you know ragtag group um and and not until you start to see some, like I said, some cracks develop in, in his uh, loose organization. That before then, you keep the belt on him and you keep him strong. And Cody is a, a, a wrestling traditionalist. And I know Tony Khan is a longtime wrestling fan. And so, uh, you know, traditionally, the, the baby face is in chase mode. Like, that's how wrestling is its most successful. Some some exceptions, obviously, with people like Hogan and WWF in particular books a strong fa babyface champion. Most of wrestling traditionally has the faces chasing the belt. And, like, you know, it's a big culmination of that story when they win. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you just move on to the next chase. Right. It's typically how it works. So I think they probably are aware of that, and, and that'll be their scheme. And, you know, I, having hung around back there, uh, I know that they have... Um, they have planned these their stories out months in advance. So they have they have planned out months and months of television, and are working backwards from an ultimate goal. And so uh, 
these storylines will not be ad hoc. They won't be like kind of uh, coming out of nowhere. They won't be ill considered. They've got some some plans, All right. and so they're going to work towards them. And so uh, uh, my speculation is that it's going to be Cody winning the belt. Okay, but maybe not. <laughs> I have. I just wanted to make that clear because I have been in the back <laughs> among the boys in the back. That is not insider knowledge. Nobody's telling you anything. I, I make it very clear that I don't want to know. Like, I would have been more, I, I would legitimately, people think I'm kidding, I think. Like, I, if someone told me, like, all their wrestling storylines for AEW. Yeah, who would want to know that? I would That's be so terrible. mad. Like, yeah. I don't understand how, like, someone like Meltzer, like, why... Why even watch? Yeah. If you know everything that's going to happen, what's the point? Yeah, that would be terrible. Yeah, and I'm not into that. So I have no idea if that's actually what they're doing, but that's what I would do. Okay. All right. So these next two questions are sort of related. So I'll read them together. Jamie Pennick, friend of the podcast, formerly of the MMA Torch. Um, So good guy. Um, He told me offline that this was like – the first wrestling show he'd watched in its entirety in years. Oh, wow. Okay. This AEW Dynamite. He really loved it. I got that message actually from a lot of people. I did too. So it, 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 they did, you know, I, I think people like snicker when Cody says things about the returners and stuff. That's real life. We've been talking about that for a while. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what we are. I mean, it wasn't, and it wasn't even just with AEW. In our interview with Court Bauer from, from MLW, we found that, like he as well as us like felt that emerging energy around the same time yeah. you know we got really got back into it around the same time like um yeah it was just i mean we were it was natural that you could attract us i mean we had had always been in, interested in wrestling but um you know what the product that had been available was just not appealing to us so people were were interested i think in like uh, they had people in their lives as wrestling, as laps wrestling fans that were still into wrestling, and they 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 felt this energy mm-hmm. that people like us had, like this enthusiasm for something, and that's rare in wrestling. Normally, it's just bickering and complaining. Yeah, and it wasn't coming from WWE. No, it was coming from all of these, you know, indie yes, promotions. Yes, it's grassroots and, and like and the and the smaller smaller larger promotions like ring of honor and mlw and new japan so i really think there were a lot of people who said okay i'll see what this is about i used to like wrestling i just don't like what it's become like i heard that a million times right and so people gave it a shot and huge numbers we found out today and uh, i i don't i can't obviously speak for 1.4 million people but like every single person that contacted me multiple people uh, all said, man, I really liked it. That was fun. I'll watch it again. Like I didn't have anyone in my personal life say, right. hey, I tried that. That was the, the, the and shits. And for every, like, every message that I got like that, it was just amazing to me because I was going into this show knowing every single one of those people, having seen them live, knowing all the backstories. Like I was trying to put myself in, in the place of like a fan who, who was just like, this is the first time I've turned on wrestling in, you know, however many years, 15 years or whatever. And I was like, I don't know, are they going to, are they going to get it? Does it come across the same way? So I was absolutely amazed to see people saying like, Oh man, that was really fun. I'm, Oh, I can't wait for next Wednesday and stuff because I was like, wow, if they can feel that right. And they're interested and they don't, they haven't been with this product. Like we have, you know, for all this time, like, I'm like, that's great. Like they must've done everything so right. 
Yeah, you know, I just feel so stupid for not having understood what what it is exactly because it's not just the great wrestling moves and the the action packed matches and stuff like you you've seen that's been available before. I think like, and I'm not name dropping here, but it was DDP that said this. You know, basically like the reason that we care is cuz it's so obvious that they give a shit. Or as he would say give a shit, bro. <laughs> like they they care. And um uh, and that that's so important. Like, you know, you can tell when someone's going through the motions and you can tell watching WWE television um, when the, the person, the architect of it doesn't respect you as like an intellectual, uh, as a person with an intellectual capacity uh, to understand basic storylines, basic motivations. Like, you know, they treat you like you're an idiot and people sense that and they don't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't, I don't feel that here. I just feel like they they want it so bad that you can't help but want it too. Yeah. So um, it does. Uh, a lot of people have pointed out um, it, it's very similar to ECW in its uh, in that feeling. Well, that it's that's interesting because you know that's we've talked about it before. before. ECW brought us in before. It is the same. So I mean, the presentation is very different from ECW. It's not they're not presenting an ECW style right, product. Right. But what's what's similar is like the the combined effort of the people who are producing the product and the audience are all. It feels like everyone's in it together, and that is really true. Was really true of ECW, where it's just like, um, and it, it was the same feeling too of like this mainstream wrestling is not. Is not giving us what we want, but we're all in this together. These guys are doing what we like, and we're riding with them. Mm-hmm. And it's the same feeling here, only just with uh, much less like crack and 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 uh, <laughs> drinking and and violence in the stands. So you say, as far as I can tell, <laughs> uh, much less crack. So um, it's like it's like a, a you know a PG thirteen ECW, and uh, yeah. I don't remember what the question was. <laughs> Did I ask a question? Uh, no, I was just uh, introducing Jamie Pennick. All right, so his actual question was, uh, who's the best wrestler in AEW and why is it Riho? And uh, that combines with John B. Uh, asking, uh, what are our thoughts on JR um, harping on the women's weight during oh, the championship yeah, match? Yeah, that's, that what I, that that's what I role. was referring to when I was just eye-rolling at you. Yeah, so the, combining those, like, the first, let's just say Riho is, uh, is great. Um, we've seen her a couple times live, and then um, she's super talented, and I, I like this match. You know, there, there were times where it fell apart, where it was sloppy, where they screwed things up. That's going to happen. Right. But um, I, I think they tried hard. Right, and I can, oh, I can kind of forgive the sloppiness, I think, a little more in a match like this than another match, because this is, this is a woman... Who is you know trying whatever she can to to beat another woman that's twice as big as her? Right, so, right. So I mean, I can, can forgive some some sloppiness that sure. everything can't and doesn't work quite right. Yeah, so you can you can uh, intellectualize a botched spot in sure. that kind of circumstance because that's what would happen if a ninety pound woman was trying to fight a two hundred fifty pound woman. Right. You know, you, some things you try just wouldn't work, it and, just and wouldn't you'd work. fall down, that's and your right. knee would collapse, and like that's all real. So, um, yeah, I thought Riho was was fantastic, and I thought um, the announcing was generally good throughout, and uh, that was probably the the weakest part. And I think it probably it, it will be. I mean, I'm sure they're making a concerted effort. I know they are. Yeah. But at the same time, they're sixty year old guys yes. who. 
think I, I don't I don't like it when people like uh, you know try to wash away certain bad behaviors because that's just how it was in their day. Right. But like that's just how it was in their day. Yes. And also, um, well, they didn't have women's wrestling yes, either in the same the, way. Not serious women's a wrestling. A lot of it feels like a lot of the stuff that 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 Jr. has you know quote gotten in trouble for saying with the you know, the online audience, um, a lot of it just seems to stem from confusion. Like, he just doesn't get it. Right, but it's also, and I don't he's, think... And like you said, he's a really old guy, and right. really old guys tend not to even try to get stuff that's, like, new to them. Like, if you're, you know, you're this 70-year-old guy is, is being confronted with something that he's not familiar with, uh, it's not... Uh, natural to be open-minded about it. Right, and so... Um... Obviously, I don't, I'm not like close with Jim Ross, but I did do a, a profile of Jim Ross for Bleacher Report, which meant I've talked to him for hours. I've spent, you know, a couple of days with him. So like, I know him a little bit, enough to know that I don't think that, that he has ill will right. in his heart, but also to know that um, he interacts, say, with waitresses in a way that I don't interact <laughs> with waitresses. Um so I'll just put it like that, you know, he's from a different generation. <laughs> right. And uh, that's just, just what it is. But also I think in this circumstance, uh, yes, you can read that as like a, some kind of sexist thing, but I also think that it's also a wrestling storytelling thing. And, and I've heard similar kind of calls, like say, for example, when like uh, Ric Flair was fighting Vader with Ric Flair's career on the line. This was in 93, if you want to go back um uh, to see how ridiculous that is considering Rick's still around. But, um, so, and, and so that's part of the story then is that like Rick is 230 pounds, Vader's 400 pounds. So in some ways calling, you know, f- focusing on their weight right. is part of the wrestling story. Now the way he specifically articulated it maybe wasn't. Yeah. Well, greatest. it was very strange because they were already billing, uh, Nyla Rose as, as twice as heavy. Right. As uh, as Riho. And yet he still felt the need to uh, basically say that he didn't believe that that listed weight was correct and that Nyla Rose is probably a lot heavier than that. <laughs> and and I just was like... Well, in this case, he may have been right. I don't know. Because no, like, Kenny, Kenny walked up there and she's yeah, uh, I'm not saying, got some, some size on I'm him. I'm not saying that he was wrong. I'm just saying that it was unnecessary. And as somebody on my Twitter feed pointed out, he didn't feel compelled to make the same comments about them listing Jericho at 225. (laughs) I don't think Jericho has been at 225 for quite some time. You know what's amazing about Jericho, though, is that, like, uh, he still didn't look good. Like, if you look at the close-ups of his pictures, like, you can see that he's um, carrying some extra weight. That's a nice way to put it. But he shaved his face. And, like, he suddenly looked 10 years younger. (laughs) He really does look a lot younger. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah, I saw I saw a video of him online before before um, the the first show, and um, at first it, it confused me. Yeah, I, thought I thought it was, it was an a old really video. old video. It's like how did he know to talk about this stuff <laughs> in two thousand five? But no, it was just Jericho. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so that that's pretty yeah, that, crazy. That was funny. It also makes me wonder why he's been wearing a scruffy beard. But yeah, it. That was kind of the one part in the announcing where I, I rolled my eyes a bit yeah. and um, was just unnecessary. And could there, have been much worse. Well, you know, it could have been, and that's and and it might be because their uncomfortableness 
with women's wrestling is really, really obvious. So I would just throw out some advice. Maybe, one, you either practice thinking about it like all the other wrestling, or if you just can't do that, you know, maybe just have some prepared remarks and maybe Excalibur can pick up a little more of uh, of the commentary there when the, when the women are in the ring. Yeah, so it, it, you do you can't see that as a challenge, and it'll be interesting to see how they how they deal with it um, on a personal level too. Like for them, for each of the announcers, right? Like uh, I'm sure they've heard the criticism, and now it's really up to them. Like it is for all of us when we make a mistake of some kind, like. Um, do you push back against the critics or do you look in, into yourself and say, you, they're right, I need to do better? And I get the sense from comparing this to some of the, the previous stuff that they've already internalized it and said, I need to be better. I feel like they have. Because it is better than the first we, stuff. We didn't, yeah, we didn't watch all the pay-per-views um, with, you know, at home with commentary, but we watched some matches from each of them. And, uh, yeah, I, f- I feel like they've they've done a much better job. So, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully they'll just continue to improve. This, I felt like this was the one weak spot, honestly. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't I don't know exactly. It didn't help that had Britt Baker out there and she did not do a dynamic job. <laughs> right. Um, like that's she, a nice way to yeah, put it. Yeah, she maybe needed to pipe up a little bit more. Or, or else just maybe search the roster for a female um, who – you know it, whose personality maybe fits going right. out there it's and talking not about women's for, yeah. wrestling. Not like everyone more. is able to to talk about the other performers and their story and and, and and then insert themselves into it in some way that makes sense. Like yeah, it's, it's a whole it's, different skill set. Yeah, it's a tricky business. So uh, and we see it all the time with wrestlers on WWE. They'll come out to the commentary table and um, it's awesome when it's done well mm-hmm. and they, they feel like they're part of the match while also working their angle. Right. But it's not, that's not the, the, the rule. Yeah. You know, most of the time they screw it up. I mean, we see it. I mean, we see it in all kinds of different sports though. They'll invite football players to come into the booth. Uh, you'll have box, you'll have boxers, like right. ac- active boxers. Some of them are amazing on commentary. I learned so much from them. Some of them are terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's just a different skill and, set. And part of it also is so with AEW, like the the great bulk of the talent has never done traditional television. Right. Right? So they're yeah. all, this is learning. They're all learning on the job. And so, you know, you're going to have these things where like someone comes out and maybe they don't do the best job the first time out. Who Whoever did, like in your own life, like the first, the first story I wrote, oh, right. I'm sure was garbage. The last one too. I mean, you know, <laughs> like it... it so, but but definitely, you don't start off as a polished, finished product, and so there there will be many circumstances where they throw somebody out there slightly out of their comfort zone, and sometimes they're going to fail. That's just part of life, and uh, they'll just move on from there and get better. Right. So, um, I don't remember the question already. Riho is awesome. Jr. can get better. I think that's our answer. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we have one more. Okay. And I don't have the exact question because uh, the the person's name was Hazy Hart. And they lock their account in between, like, asking us the question. And then when I went back to look at it, um, you know, how some they get that lock mark next to it. And, like, oh. only people who follow them already can read their tweets. Oh, so they, like, sent you a question and then ghosted. Yeah, and they got involved. It may have been some unrelated drama. Ooh. I'm not sure they were hiding their question from me. Um, 
but yeah, so there's something happened. But I ha ha, too late. We already saw your yes, question. We saw it and talked about it. So the gist of the question was, um, you know, when are we going to do a Kenny Omega retrospective and talk about his career, his fashion choices, his his relationships, his wrestling, his appearance in like independent weird films. Um, we, me, and you on the podcast? I don't know, or if they met me personally as a writer. Oh, yeah. Well, you've talked about this. I mean, you've talked about a Kenny book pretty much since, you know, you stopped hating Kenny. Since I determined that <laughs> Kenny was a great wrestler, like I always said. Only even I know. slightly I mean, I greater. I, my personal uh, theory is that you were like, oh, my God, Christina likes Kenny Omega. I can write a book she'll actually read. So that's not my motivation, although I would enjoy the fact that you wrote a book of mine. Um, there's, there's actually, yeah, so it's a, definitely something I dream. It's my, a, dream, um, a dream project. And uh, I've talked to, to two women um, super more talented than me, like super talented and smart. And we, we met in Las Vegas and, and discussed doing this book. And um, maybe we will. I don't know. But um, I'd love to. I mean, I think it's the, the greatest story untold story a partially told story in 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 all of wrestling and all the sports like and it's just it hits so many levels and i, I love it as a, a study of an artist as a per, of a person a history of wrestling um it, it hits everything so um well if you had some time um i, I mean and I, and this is actually something i would help you with um i i would do i could do a podcast all about introducing people to Kenny and all his various stages. Um, that'd be fun. You'd like to do that, huh? Yeah, yeah, I would do that. I'd, I'd this help is you this gather sound, all now. It sounds like this is like a gimmick where I was like, we're selling, we're selling this new podcast thing by. Like, no, I just meant like an episode of this one. Yeah, Only yeah. it would just be all about, um, you know, Kenny's yeah, a thematic, a thematic podcast. Yeah, and we could do it, and just, then we'd pick out some um, of the bigger podcasts could steal it. We. Like, like they already do. We could uh, pick out like our favorite matches um, through time and stuff. I mean, it would be fun. Oh, that would be awesome. Well, yeah. If we do that, what we'll have to do is put together like a, a viewing. Yeah, list. yeah, like so, with so, links and everything. Yeah, so, so everyone could look at it first, and then we all course. talk about it together. Yes. Um, add it to the good idea pile. All right, uh, and we will put it underneath the finish the book you're working on. <laughs> So uh, we'll never do it. <laughs> Understood. No, I, I'm still writing the book about Ken Shamrock. It's still happening. Yeah, I mean, you have already written like two, three hundred pages. Yeah, I, I have a book. I just want to have a perfect book. So um, eventually I'll do it, and then we'll have a perfect Kenny podcast. Maybe we'll have a perfect Kenny book <laughs> with some great collaborators. So who can say? But um uh, yeah, it's definitely a story that intrigues me that I still feel really strongly about, and I'm just as enthusiastic about it as the first time. Um, I mean, this is just another I courage, chapter. I mean, courage to ask someone to to, to participate. So, um, <laughs> it's big, and Kenny is actually like the last of the the founding uh, wrestlers of All Elite Wrestling who I have not talked to. Elusive. Yeah, so I've talked to the Young Bucks and Cody <laughs> and Randy and. Um, He's the last, the last remaining one. So it could be a, I'll do some sort of Kenny project uh, on the writing side um, for Bleach Report well before any of this stuff. So um, 
I don't know. The future is a mystery. All right. Well, um, your immediate future is that you're going to be gone for a while. Um, but wrestling's not going to stop. So, coming up, Friday. Yeah. SmackDown debuts on Fox. They have been pulling out all the stops to make sure everybody knows this. Yes, even talking to writers who are co-opted by the other <laughs> side, apparently. Because I interviewed Kofi Kingston today. Oh, yeah, we just watched Thursday Night Football on Fox. They had Roman Reigns in the halftime show. Oh, yeah, I mean, Fox has gone crazy for yes. wrestling. I mean, they should. They paid a yeah. lot of money to be able to have and this And so show. I, I mentioned this on Twitter because I was setting up the, the Kofi interview and stuff like that. Like, you know, I've been in some contact with WWE folks. And um, it, it's not that the Wednesday Night Wars is not important to them because they obviously there was great interest there in, in that. But they're, as a company, their priority this week it was it had nothing to do with that battle, and it's the Friday premiere of uh, SmackDown on Fox. Like no, that's it's huge. Much bigger, yeah. I mean, they got so much money for that deal. Fox has put so much energy into it, so everything is focused on getting a big rating on that show, and that's where their their attention is. So uh, it'll be it'll well, be the, fun to watch. I mean, they've got so much planned the, for it. Yeah, I mean, the card looks great. The two matches that interest me are, of course, uh, Kofi versus Brock for the WWE Championship. Which, if you want to know some of Kofi's thoughts, you can go to my column at Bleacher Report, where I interviewed Kofi Kingston about him. And uh, Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon. Of course, that's my favorite in match. In a ladder match. Because um, there has to be something for Shane to either jump or fall off of. And the loser has to leave. Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of Loser Leaves. So, uh, um, and then they've announced that The Rock is going to be there. And I th- believe Stone Cold as well. <gasps> what? Uh, that's my understanding. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's, they're pulling out all the stops. It's going to be a tremendous uh, night of programming. Yeah, and so that's a huge show. And then just on Sunday, they're going to have Hell in a Cell. And um, there you have Seth Rollins versus The Fiend for the Universal Championship. That's the men's Hell in the Cell. And then Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks for the Raw Women's title, and that's the women's Hell in a Cell. And then you also have uh, the match that kind of interests me the most, which is Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan versus Eric Rowan and Luke Harper. And you have a theory. Yeah, so my theory is that... (laughs) Despite all his protests and not liking liars and all of this, like uh, ultimately, it's going to be three men stomping Roman Reigns because it's going to turn out that Daniel Bryan was in on it all along. Um, Ooh, no, that would be despicable. My apologies to, to Bryan for suggesting he's a bad person, but that's what I think is going to happen. Interesting. And there's a lot of other cool stuff on that card. Like I think the, the revival against the New Day. and. Oh, yeah, um, it's a great card. I, I just picked out the stuff I yeah, was yeah, most yeah. interested in. But I'm just saying, like, for a WWE card, like, uh, it, up and down, it looks really strong. Yeah. And so I'm I'm uh, actually looking forward to it. I'm not looking forward to not being able to watch it with you, but um, we'll just have to watch it. I'll, I'll know as I watch my computer screen that you're somewhere, <laughs> like in an American tale, Five Old Moskowitz, somewhere you're out there. I'm out there. We're watching you're, the same you're watching big screen. The same wrestling on the same uh, computer screen so. but before you get back we'll also have a new japan on monday um and that's uh basically our road to king of pro wrestling which is the next week and that is gonna be such a fabulous show um and then nwa power the very first nwa uh their new studio program yeah they shot a, a television show like the old style the way it used to be mm-hmm. done on uh 
WCW Worldwide or Saturday Night or something back when I was a kid. Just like a tiny uh, studio, 100 or 200 people fitting in there. And uh, it should be really fun. Yeah, their first show will be available Tuesday at 6.05 on YouTube for everybody. 6.05. That's yes, the time that wrestling came I on know. the Superstation TBS uh, when we were I kids. I love that, yeah. So, yeah, that's a good touch. I, I remember, like, it's been years in the making. This guy, who one of the guys who runs it, Dave Lagana, was a former uh, WWE writer. And uh, he's still involved in wrestling. And he, he kind of called me with, not just me, but probably a million people, uh, about this idea, like wanting to do this NWA show in the studio, just like they did in the old times. And it's like, you know, the presentation is like is like uh, old-fashioned, but the wrestling is contemporary. So, like, it, it'll be a nice melding. I, I didn't see it, but I look forward to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't go to the taping, and I've done my best to just sort of not yes, hear I, anything I about totally, it. Yes, I totally So, uh, I'm going to To the point where I hope that. that, like, Dave doesn't think I'm not, like, doing enough to promote <laughs> it. But it's, like, for me as a fan, like, I don't want to be, like, talking about it and then accidentally seeing what's going to happen because it was taped right Right. so um well i uh yeah so i'm gonna i'm definitely gonna check out this first show and uh see what i think yeah it'll be exciting